Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the Unplayable Podcast, where we talk all things cricket across Australia and the world. It's a new season, so we've got a new format for the podcast. I'm Josh Shonafinger, and today I'm very honoured to be joined by cricket.com.au's Louis Cameron. Josh, uh, thanks for having me. Uh, new era for the podcast, I suppose. New era for Australian cricket. Australia's women's team just lost a game of cricket, uh, although they're still very, very good. So that's not all that new, I suppose. <laughs> they are very good, and they will continue to be good, I'm sure. But uh, we have had some news this morning that the Sheffield Shield, um, the second match that was scheduled has been postponed. It was due to kick off at Ian Healy Oval today, but um, it's not going to happen. So what's what's happened up in Brisbane? Yeah, postponed or cancelled. It's I mean, it's hard to know which one's which at the moment, but um, yeah, it sounds like it will get played. Um, obviously, Queensland, as you're listening to this, you probably know that Queensland had a few COVID cases and, and Tasmania basically packed up and left, um, perhaps fearing that they might have to do 14 days quarantine in Brisbane, oh, sorry, in Hobart, if they return too late, so it's understandable on that front. It's a tough one for cricket in the sense that we've got an Ashes series coming up, and that's heavily reliant on interstate travel, right? As um, you know, as a lot of sports are, and you know, if we're going to cancel games of cricket on you know four four cases, um, it's going to be really hard to do an Ashes series because there's going to be outbreaks along the way. I know that, you know, by December, vaccination rates will be higher and, um, you know, you'd, you'd think we'd be at a different point uh, in contending with this and travel. But, um, yeah, it's uh, it's a really difficult one for, for Cricket Australia and, and just cricket and sport in general, isn't it? It is. Thankfully, we have already had some really exciting cricket uh, that's been played this summer up in Mackay. Three ODIs between Australia's women and India's women and two of those matches went down to the last over. What's been your highlight from that fascinating series so far? Oh, just incredible, Josh. I really enjoyed the second ODI. I think that's one of the best games of just cricket I've seen full stop and somehow somehow Australia won it. I mean, needing 13 to win it uh, off that last over, what did you kind of think going in? to the last over. Well, well, going into the last over, you've got to say India are probably favourites in that position. They only need to take one wicket and the game is theirs. And as we saw, that sort of eventuated when Nicola Carey hit the last ball straight to mid-wicket before it was called for a no ball. Um, And then Australia managed to get over the line thanks to the free hit. Um, But I did enjoy your article during the week about that no ball and the process that went behind it. Uh, Can you give our listeners a bit more detail on what happened with that decision by the third umpire? Yeah, I mean, I started writing that story and the layers of different umpiring complexity um, kind of blew my mind a little bit and it made me realise that the umpire, um, or the third umpire in this case, and the on-field umpires as well, did a bloody good job to get pretty much everything right, I think. The bone of contention was that, um, I guess, Phil Gillespie, the third umpire, had to decide whether 
the ball that Goswami bowled to her uh, was going to be over her waist or not in a standing start if she'd been standing up. So that's so difficult for, for him to adjudicate on, right? And ultimately he decided that it would have been over her waist um, had she been standing up at the pop increase. But, I mean, what an impossible task. And you see, I saw a lot of reaction to that story. People were saying, oh, it's clear it was this or it's clear it was that. You can't tell me. I, I mean, I could see either way that, you know, you could think it's not a no ball or it is a no ball. But I don't know what you thought, Josh, but I didn't think it was clear either way. No, I thought that was just – it was the most perfect line ball that you could have had really, wasn't it? I mean, and – when you spoke about uh, the decision that Sir Dunbar had to make as well, you also mentioned in the article that uh, he had to predict where the ball was going to drop. You know, the, the trajectory of the ball is important in that decision as well. A hundred percent. And it's the kind of thing that DRS could almost be used for because we know DRS is good at predicting where a ball is going to go after it hits a person on the body. Um, that's kind of what it's designed for, although not designed for this particular circumstance. But, I mean, overall, it, it, it probably overshadowed a little bit what was just an epic game and, and an amazing comeback from uh, from Australia after India had bowled just beautifully under lights. I mean, some of the swing that um, that the Indian opening bowlers had, had gotten, Meghna and, and Goswami, was, was really electric to watch. It was great. And I'm sure the fast bowler inside of you would have... Love that spell. But Beth Mooney was the star in the end, 125 not out. Wasn't she brilliant? She was on the field for all 100 overs of the match and put together one of the most complete or perfect ODI innings that you can sort of make. Yeah, and bumped down to number five for the for the following game when um, when Rachel Haynes returned. Um, funnily, well, not sorry, not funnily enough, but we've, uh, we've also just heard that Rachel Haynes will now miss the rest of the series, she's uh, she's suffered a hamstring injury, um, which might actually pave the way for Mooney to go back to open in the Test match. Um, and I know you've got some some thoughts around 11s um, that Australia might have for that. Um, yeah. So, I, but yeah, coming back to your point, Mooney, um, fantastic batter. Gee, she's she's just great to watch, isn't she? I, she, um, yeah, her cover driving in particular is is lovely to watch. She, well, she's been one of the most consistent players in that team for the last number of years now. And if we do look across to that test match that you mentioned, Haynes is out, so Mooney perhaps might open, but it also might open the door for someone like Georgia Redmayne, who has been dominating the WNCL and uh, WBBL of of late for a test debut. Um, But there are also some other potential test debutants in line uh, for Australia and for India. with uh, a number of players, including um, Stella Campbell's in the mix, Darcy Brown's in the mix, Annabelle Sutherland's in the mix. Um, so there's a lot of excitement with this new group of um, Australian players who could play their first match in the baggy green. Yeah, Adam Burnett, who our colleague who's up there on uh, on the Gold Coast now, he laid it out pretty well um, in a story for cricket.com.au that's on the site, basically saying that, yeah, Georgia Redmayne could come in. That's that's one option the selectors had. The uh, the other, I guess, is to bring in uh, probably a lower, you know, middle order all-rounder to kind of come in. And uh, I guess maybe Annabelle Sutherland is one. Nicola Carey is another who's who's an excellent batter. Um, and Tali McGraw is probably in this team already. So they're kind of the options. And, and then, yeah, Mooney kind of goes up to goes up to open um i've i've kind of done up my 11 mate i'm not sure if uh if it might might actually look pretty similar to yours now i know we were talking about this earlier but um i've kind of got healy 
and Mooney opening now in, in Haynes' spot ahead of Lanning, Perry, McGrath, Gardner. And I think Sutherland probably slots in at seven mm-hmm. now uh, ahead of Molyneux. And then the bowlers in some order from that point. I'd have Georgia Wareham, Darcy Brown, and I'd have Stella Campbell in there. And I think then you've got Campbell and and Sutherland and Darcy Brown, and that's that's a lot of pace, isn't it? That's exciting for Aussie fans to see. Probably the two quickest Australian bowlers at the minute in the same test team at once. Um, I think that would bring a lot of fans to watch the games, that's for sure. Yeah, big time. And, and one of the other bits that uh, Adam Burnett has also um, just sent a message through before about was um, – the, the state of the pitch on the Gold Coast, it, it actually looks – he was saying that it's looking quite green. Does it? Yeah. I mean, I uh, my initial thought or, or fear was that it would be quite a flat, um, you know, kind of drop-in wicket that, mm-hmm. um, that, you know, that we've seen a bit of in the past. Not necessarily at the Gold Coast, but just drop-in wickets in general. But he's, he's saying it, it looks quite spicy. That's that's really exciting, really exciting. And the pink, pink ball under lights, you know, there's going to be a lot of action happening. And as a lot of our fans – will know but some may not is that this is a multi-format series so Australia won the ODI portion of the series 2-1 and two points is awarded for each of those victories meaning that Australia are 4-2 up but the test match is worth four points so Australia could go 8-2 up on points and basically take an unassailable lead in the series they could still draw it if um, India win the final three T20s but this is a crucial match for Australia because they can just about put one hand on the trophy with a victory here. Yeah, well, probably even more crucial for India because you think even if Australia if Australia win the test, India aren't – I can't see them winning three T20s mm. in a row against this Australian team. So you think it's make or break for them. Um, and, you know, I guess we saw in the ODI series the probably just the, the differing standards of um, – you might call it professionalism, um, just purely from experience. I think you can't really – it's hard to blame the Indian – players for um, a lot of the drop catches and just little tactical things along the way that I think the fielding um, looked like uh, they were hiding some players in the field. Lisa Stalaker made a really good point on commentary. She said you can you can hide one or two players, but when it starts to become three, four, five players, that's really difficult, um, especially in limited overs cricket. Maybe maybe there's, you know, scope that, you know, you can get away with it in, in a bit more in test cricket, but... Um, yeah, so I think that's that's it, it. Really provides a bit of impetus for a women's IPL, and you know they've been talking about it for a while now, and they've got this you know really amazing women's team, despite not an amazing underlying domestic structure, or at least not one to the same standard that the Australians and and even the English um, women have. So I think if they can get their act together, they're they're a bit like the sleeping giants of of women's cricket. But the one thing that India will have to contend with is uh, Mitchell Stark has apparently been at Australian training today, um, so I'm told, uh, helping out the Aussie women with their um, pink ball bowling. Um, and you would have thought he's – I think he's literally the greatest pink ball bowler of all time, uh, so that's pretty handy. Well, it's very handy to have someone like him uh, just on hand to help with that. No left armers in that um – Australian team that I can think of off the top of my head, but yeah, I'm sure the principles point. are the same from right to left armers, as you'd probably know. Yeah, yes. Uh, no, I wouldn't know, Josh. Um, and neither would you from what I hear. No, only joking. Um, 
uh, and, and the other someone who does know a little bit about um, pink ball cricket is Elise Perry, who I, I believe she was also kind of giving some some tips on um, to the Aussie batters about how she structured her her innings um, playing in that that test. How long ago was that? Now that was twenty seventeen eighteen when she made a double hundred. I, I think that was the last time the was that that was the last time the women the Aussie women played, played a test, test on yeah. Aussie soil. That was the, that's right the Ashes yeah. in England between then. Yeah, so. Um, at least Perry's a pretty good person to learn from. Ball got a Sutherland. Great Sutherland. Five for 192. So the Sheffield Shield got underway during the week. It was a drawn match at Karen Rolton Oval. There were runs galore. In fact, there were five centuries across the three innings that were completed. Sean Marsh, Cameron Green... Hilton Cartwright, Jake Carter, and Travis Head. Louis, who took your eye from the opening match of the Sheffield Shield? Yeah, I think Travis Head's innings was probably the standout. Um, just given, I mean, Cameron Green also batted beautifully and, and Sean Marsh did, but we're, <laughs> we're kind of used to that by now. Um, although Travis Head also had a, a really good season last year. But, um, yeah, I think I think Head, after coming back from Sussex, where he struggled a bit against the Dukes ball and then, Came back and did his two weeks quarantine, and, and now he's looking really good um, on a you know slightly better batting conditions. Um, I think he's you know really in the mix there for that probably number five spot um, that he lost last summer, um, but then looked in the frame to kind of get back if that South Africa tour hadn't been cancelled. So he's an interesting case. Um, it was interesting as well. I think the South Australians looked like they picked up a couple of good players. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, Nathan, Nathan McAndrew and Jake Carter looked really good. And you've got Brendan Doggett to, to come back into that team. Um, I think they're going to be a lot stronger this year if, if that keeps up. Yeah, and they've got uh, Nathan McSweeney as well from Queensland who played in the one-day game. Um, and th- they didn't win at all last year in both formats. But you're quite bullish on their on their season this year, aren't you? Yeah, I think so. I think some of the... They were close a couple of times. I know that's, you know, a bit of a cop... You know, people might think that's a bit of a cop-out, but... Um, I remember there was the game at the Wacker where they were one wicket away from um, beating WA and, and WA are a pretty strong strong team um, and that from memory was a pretty flat wicket. So I don't think they were as far away as, as some people might have thought. Um, there was also a, another game, you know, when we're getting down to the – while we're getting down into the shield weeds here where they outplayed a, a pretty strong New South Wales team and then, because I think their season was was just about gone at this point, they couldn't make the final. They actually declared um, pretty generously. Uh, maybe set New South Wales, you know, only two hundred and fifty or something, and New South Wales won. And it ended up looking like, oh, there you go. There's another South Australia failure. But right. in actual fact, they were probably the better team. And it was, a, you know, not a contrived result, but it was it was a generous declaration, put it that way. And you get zero points for a draw and you get zero points for a win. Uh, sorry, you get zero points for a draw and you get zero points for a loss. So I think yeah. their thinking was was influenced by that. So, yeah, I don't know. What Do you do you think I'm, I'm being too high on the on the Redbacks, mate? No, no, I don't think so. They've been very shrewd with their recruiting. Uh, it's good to see McAndrew and Carter have, you know, an instant impact as well because that sort of validates uh, their moves. Um, but I think f- for domestic cricket in Australia in general, we, we want to see the Redbacks, you know, become competitive again. And mm. they've got a good coach in charge, Jason Gillespie. So mm. surely it won't be too long before they're back on the winner's list. Yeah, I would have thought. I would have thought. Um, and WA as well. I think they're going to be a really good team. It mm. was interesting. Um, Jai Richardson didn't play in this game and 
had a bit of a I think it was a side strain it was so he's kind of a not a forgotten man of Australian cricket but um, you know kind of haven't really seen him you know doing his thing in especially in the longer format for for a little while now so um, yeah that, that'd be a, a, an interesting one to watch um, pre-Ashes, I think. Certainly. Uh, he would have definitely had his eye on the Afghanistan test mm. um, before that. Well, has that officially been cancelled or is that still just in limbo? In limbo, I think. I mean, it looks pretty unlikely mm. unless um, we expect the Taliban to suddenly reverse their um, stance on, on women's rights. And, yeah, it's probably an issue um, bigger than our brains for this podcast. But, um, yeah, especially if, if it was looking like players would might have had to play that game in quarantine coming back from the T20 World Cup and if they weren't permitted or they weren't allowed to do that then yeah Jai and you know Michael Nisa and James Pattinson those kind of guys might have been looking at a game but um, yeah who knows yeah, I mean at, at this point we literally have uh, no cricket on the I mean there's that Marsh Cup game between uh, Queensland and Tasmania which I guess um, could get played if this COVID situation in Brisbane isn't as bad as uh, is feared. Uh, but there's just so many uncertainties over the season. Again, we, we thought we'd be over it, Josh. We thought last season was the was, yeah. the was the outlier. Unfortunately, there are more uncertainties in Australia's middle order as well. Justin Langer sent a text to Travis Head after his big century. Is there room for Travis Head in Australia's Test 11 again this summer after he was um, dropped last summer? Yeah, I think so. I think we're pretty quick to maybe put it, put a line through guys who have been there, um, gone through the ringer a bit in terms of, you know, he's, he's had his highs and he's had his lows in the Test team. Um, and I think, we're, we're, yeah, we're a bit quick to maybe just rule a line through him and say, oh, he's had a chance. Well, actually, he, he's had chances. Um, he hasn't always taken advantage of them, but he's probably actually a much better player than if he hadn't had the chances. So when you're looking at, um, you know, there's there's going to be a player who kind of jumps out of the pack who um, the public are, are demanding selection for, I'm sure. It, it kind of happens, you know, every season, you know, presuming we get the games this season that, you know, there'll be a new, a, sh- a shiny new thing. And, um, you know, yes, they, they might be the, the best thing, um, best player to pick, but also I think, you know, if, if someone like Travis Head is... Um, is informed in shield cricket. I think we shouldn't be too quick to, to go back to, to not look at someone like him. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you're allowed to go away and get better, aren't you? That's the whole idea of drop getting dropped and coming back into the team. I remember before the 2019 Ashes, there were a lot of people unhappy with Matthew Wade's inclusion, saying, you know, he's had his chance and he hasn't taken it. But he went away to the shield for a few years and scored tons of runs and was a better batter as a result of it, right? So, you know, second chances are one of the great things about cricket. So uh, if Travis Head takes his opportunities, then good luck to him, I say. Yeah, big time. And, and this is why the selectors say that you can't have a spreadsheet or um, picking the team because – or that you can't have the – you know, the, you just pick the six best batters and the five best bowlers from the shield every year is because there's a bit of judgment involved, isn't there? I mm. mean, last summer you you kind of see – or, you know, better judges than, than you or I could see that Pukowski and Green are generational talents. Um, and that, you know, they need to, you know, be given a, a go. And I think that was, you know, vindicated in, in some respects um, with with their performances uh, along the way. But then there are other times where you might actually not pick a young player and you might go back to someone like Wade or um, or even Head, who's 27 now, who's, you know, kind of in the more experienced category. So, 
um, yeah, that's that's all in front of us. I mean, yeah, I'm just excited for when we actually get these fixtures locked in, when we know New South Wales and, and Victoria are going to be able to play. Um, it, it's all up in the air at the moment, but, you know, we're kind of led to believe that it's hopefully not, not too far away. Comes into bowl, and Mitch Marsh pulls that one away. Is it going to find the rope? It is, and that will be the 100 for Mitchell Marsh, so his third for Western Australia. And the milestones continue to flow here in Adelaide. He's not sure, but I can tell you, son, it's 100. And they're back on their feet again, the Western Australians. Did you catch any of the Marsh Cup that also began earlier in the week? Uh, Western Australia had a big win over South Australia. Did you catch that? Yeah, I did. Um, being the cricket tragic I am, Josh, and it's also my job too, and it's yours. Yes, so I hope you true. watch it, mate. <laughs> yeah. uh, Alex Carey, I thought, was the the massive standout in terms of how he batted, carrying, the, carrying his bat. Uh, for South Australia, mm. um, Mitch Marsh is is probably the other interesting one. So that'll be his last game before he leaves for the T Twenty World Cup. But yeah, Mitch Marsh is his form in uh, Bangladesh and West Indies was phenomenal. He's kind of kept that going now from from number three. He had a huge partnership, uh, second week of partnership with Josh Felipe in in that Marsh Cup game. So um, yeah, I mean, does it? Do you kind of look at? Marsh at number three for the World Cup is, is probably the question we're going to be asking when we get closer to it. Um, or has does he kind of get superseded by, you know, Smith and Maxwell and, and he kind of has to settle for maybe five or six? I don't know. Well, where would you lean on that one? Yeah, well, I thought his performances, and you saw them firsthand in um, those winter tours at number three, were, were phenomenal. I mean, you couldn't really have asked for him to do any more. He was put there. And he did his role perfectly. Maybe there was a bit of a knock on how fast he scored, but uh, he was sort of the only ones who was scoring at all. So um, it was fantastic. I'd love to see him back, be backed at number three in the T20 World Cup. Um, Smith and Maxwell are very versatile players. And Stoinis, if he's fit, has said that you know he wants to bat lower in the order. So there is a potential opportunity for him there. And I'm sure he'll be able to take it if if he gets that opportunity below, hopefully a Warner and Finch at the top. But again, who knows as well with form and in injury to those two as well. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's a really good point you make about uh, Smith and Maxwell are very versatile. And I think sometimes we can tend to look at the younger guys coming coming in and think, oh, we'll, we'll get them in at you know, five and six and then you, we know our top four or top three is set. Often that top three is Warner, Finch and Smith and... Yeah, so you, you're kind of giving the harder job to the less experienced player. Um, so, uh, not saying Mitch Marsh is inexperienced, but he, he probably doesn't have the you know the same degree of experience batting in the top three as as those other guys. So, um, that yeah, I, I think there's a real case to be made. Um, what have you made of David Warner, mate? He um, he got he got dropped uh, the other night for the IPL after a couple of lean returns. After getting back in the team, having you know uh, lost his spot earlier in the in the tournament, um, yeah, I mean, do you, do you kind of read much into that? Well, it's really tough for him, and now that uh, the sun rises, I think they're out of the IPL now. They can't make the finals, so it looks probably unlikely that he's going to get another look in this season. Um, I think it's tough for him because we know that he's talented, and we know that T Twenty is one of these fickle games where you can have a string of low scores and then just come out and have a big score sort of thing. It's one of those games where form is not irrelevant, but uh, you, you look at more the, the class and the technique of the player. And, and Warner has so much experience in Middle Eastern conditions, subcontinental conditions, that 
um, it's going to come right for him at one point, you would just assume. Is that wrong to, to think that? No, nah, not at all. And I, I was surprised that they dropped him, the Sunrisers dropped him in the first place during the initial stage of this IPL. Uh, I guess we weren't a surprise when it happened the other night because, you know, we'd seen it. Um, but his IPL record is phenomenal. And I think there's a case to be made that he's the best overseas batter that competition yep. has ever seen. Um, it, it's interesting, I guess, if you maybe look at the IPL compared to the T20 World Cup that's coming up. If Warner made zero and two in the, Australia's first two World Cup games, he wouldn't get dropped. Um, and, no. he, you know, he'd be every chance of making 80 or 40 in the next game. Whereas in the IPL, you have Jason Roy just sitting on the bench. So in, in some respects, it's actually a harder tournament as a batter, as weird as that sounds. Yeah, as an international batter, as an yeah. International, yeah. Whereas, I mean, if he was an Indian player, uh, he probably they probably would have stuck with him because you could have then got Roy in, you know, to open with him or, yeah. or you know, a three or, or something like that. So, yeah, you have to take the IPL stuff with a bit of a bit of a grain of salt, I suppose. Um, I know we're still a long way. Well, we're a month out now from the T20 World Cup. If you, this is a question without notice. If you had to nominate who your pre-tournament favourite is at this early stage, who would you be locking in? Yeah, I think India are the favourites, but I think the one that people have slept on a bit is the West Indies. I mean, I was just blown away by how good they were when I was over there in St Lucia. Um, when they, I mean, they kind of get guys like Pollard back. Uh, Chris Gale, who's you know forty-one and still hitting them pretty well, um, you know every six or seventh game, which kind of <laughs> is just enough <laughs> to keep his spot. And um, yeah, they're they're an amazing T Twenty team, and I think now they've kind of got them all back. They're they're going to be a real force that um, people aren't talking about as much. Do you? Yeah, do you have any different? Well, yeah, I agree. I mean, watching from afar, their spinners were also really impressive, mm-hmm. weren't they? Hayden Walsh Jr., Kiel Hussain. I mean, these guys, Australia found it really tough to put away. So you'd think the pitches in the UAE and Oman will will suit that as well. Yeah, they got a lot of bases covered. They got um, some good quicks. Uh, I'm just trying to think of the tall left armour. His, his name's Cottrell? escaped me. Uh, Cottrell, he's, he's one, but uh, they got another. Obed McCoy, oh, he's, yeah, he's Obed, the one I'm yes. thinking of. He was player of the match in... I think the first or second game over in I think it was the first one. He took this he took this diving catch off his own bowling. Um it was like a somersaulting kind of catch. And I've just never seen a bowler do that before. Like just even the thought process to think that you can like somersault in the air and take a return catch all in one go is like just athleticism beyond my wildest dreams. Um well that's brilliant. Um that's about all the time we've got on this week's edition of the Unplayable Podcast. Thank you so much for joining in. Louis, thank you for joining me. We've had a blast. No worries at all, Josh. In the meantime, stay tuned to cricket.com.au for your news scores and video highlights. Thanks, guys. Enjoy the cricket. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.